Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. And great to have you with us on the show today. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, force rated Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Ertz 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. In Milwaukee today, NIT coming up tonight at the Al McGuire Center. Normally they play at the Bradley Center. In fact, this is their last season there. Uh, but they are going to uh, move into the brand-new Milwaukee Bucks Arena next season. Well, on campus for the NIT is where they're playing. So that's what they're doing. And they'll play there tonight. Seats about 3,600, 3,700. 7 o'clock, the tip-off tonight, 6.30 the airtime on News Radio 1070 WKOK. And uh, also streaming live at uh, WKOK.com. And, of course, you can hear it on the Penn State Sports Network as well as you're traveling around. All right. So, uh, great to have you with us. And time now for our play-by-play call today. It is LeBron James. LeBron now between the circles. Slightly down to our left. Started by Parker. Picked up by Maker. As LeBron now is at the left point. LeBron got a half step on. Maker to the back. And he hammers home a dunk. Oh, mercy. LeBron James now has 31 points, 8 rebounds, and 8 assists. He's given the Cavs an 84-77 lead. He's amazing. He is amazing. So... All right. Pro day today here at Penn State. And it was a good day here today. And Kevin Colbert was here today. We did not tell the suit about that because we did not need an incident. Just my opinion. (laughs) All right. So let's get to it here. Let's bring in Neil Kulong, USA Today. Neil, welcome back. Great to have you with us. <laughs> Not too far. I'm from Minneapolis, but uh, yeah. same difference. Milwaukee, Minneapolis, North Dakota. It's, it's all uh, it's all somewhere that's oh. probably experiencing rough weather right now in March. Yeah, it's all the same. All right, Kevin Colbert was here today. So was Tom Bradley. Penn State does have four defensive backs. Uh, so... I mean, look, you, you, we're not asking you to read tea leaves here, but still, there's a need versus a team that has some people. Yeah, I think uh, certainly it's not a surprise that uh, Pittsburgh will want to have a, a big contingent out there. There are a lot of players, I think, that uh, it would, would make pretty good fits right now. And, and I'm not really much of a tea leaf, re- tea leaf reader right now, especially, but just looking at it from a, a position perspective, um, even with the signing of Morgan Burnett today, which I didn't really expect, I, I would imagine the Steelers are still going to be looking at their secondary uh, within the at least once in the first three rounds. I think it's uh, 
you know, they, they let go of a lot of veteran depth there. They, they still have some younger guys there, but they, they need guys to be able to, to get out there and compete. I don't think we've seen a, a great secondary um, in Pittsburgh in, in quite a while. So it, it's, it's uh, an area of need for them, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if they value – um, the, the position, all, you know, any one of those positions high enough to uh, to look for, you know, first, second, third round pick on them. What did you think of the signing of Morgan Burnett? I think um, it, it's it's interesting because really you can kind of see what their offseason plan was. I mean, it was definitely a, a long shot in my mind that Mike Mitchell was going to come back anyway. Uh, certainly at the salary that he was at. Uh, but what this move lets them do is one, it gets them a, a, a hybrid safety kind of linebacker. Uh, that fits into their defense pretty well, at least what they've done with their defense over the last couple of years. He's uh, uh, definitely a, a step up in that regard. And it also allows them to move Sean Davis back to free safety, which I think is probably a, a, his long-term position in the NFL. Um, people weren't really sure on Davis coming out of college uh, what exactly he would play. He's definitely in the, the back secondary, but I, I think he's probably better um, in that one high role um, that, that they had Mitchell playing in quite a bit last year. Mitchell, to me, it looked like he had kind of lost a step um, didn't really play the position as well as we've seen him in the past. So giving Davis the opportunity back there, um, along with Burnett, and that, that's that's even just you know where we sit right now, uh, they could still look to draft a strong safety um, at some point, and maybe Burnett's just kind of a, a, a nickel kind of you know specialty role kind of player. I, I could see that happening as well. So um, it's a smart signing. I, I it, it's tough at this point just because of how fluid uh, the salary cap is, with the signings and everything. I'm not exactly sure. Um, where exactly they're going to find the money to to, uh, to fit him in? But uh, obviously they're they're going to have you know their accounting um, figured out. But really, it's uh, they're right at the cap. It's really kind of different for uh, for Pittsburgh and what they're doing. But um, for for what was out there, I think this is probably the best move they reasonably could have made. Essentially, this phase. I mean, maybe another player or two. This phase is over. The free agency phase. So now that it's settled in. What do you think now, draft-wise? What's the what's the what, what's the checklist for Penn State? I mean, for uh, the Steelers. I think really, um, it, I don't think they're done at safety or linebacker. I think those are both positions where uh, the, the John Bosick signing, as well as the Burnett signing, gives them uh, an option in case things don't work out. Excuse me, the way that they had necessarily planned or they find something better in the draft. I, I think they're still going to want to address both of those positions and kind of create a little bit of competition, um, particularly at inside linebacker. They're, they're not particularly deep there at all, and that was before the Shazier injury. So um, really, I, I don't think they're finished at that spot. If somebody like Rashawn Evans what happens to fall of 28, I could see them uh, wanting to make a move there. But for me right now, I, I think uh, safety is, is still probably what I would earmark. I, I don't think they're, uh, they're – one, they're not as deep as they need to be there, and two, they don't have the kind of versatility – um, behind what would be their two starters, uh, presumably right now, to do the kinds of things that they want to do. And I, I'm saying that now without, uh, you know, consideration of, of what Bradley wants to do back there, what kind of schemes they're going to uh, implement. But I think they're going to want versatility. So I think they're going to, you know, try to find another, uh, perhaps another Morgan Burnett type of player. And I think you can get one of those in the second or third round. All right, uh, the NFL and their the, the we talk about reading tea leaves. There, there's every indication now they're going to change the catch rule, uh, and if they do, it sounds like it's maybe more in a common sense area. What are your thoughts on that? Imagine that. It does seem um, the, the, the first reading of it, from what I saw, a report came out that they they are in fact going to change it. I don't think that's really uh, much of a surprise. The way that they define it now is basically they're not looking at whether the ball is moving on instant replay, and it's more 
um, whether he maintains possession after going to the ground. Um, it doesn't matter if it's bobbling before that or not. To me, um, you can get into the logistics of what exactly that statement means, but to me it's really more like you know it when you see it. And I think that's what this needs to be. You know, you really can't get it just – you can't dive into the weeds too deeply with this stuff. The, the game of football is just way too fast. Um, the laws of physics don't allow a lot of the rules that, that they want to uh, – to be able to implement. I don't think they quite realized that when they tried to quote-unquote improve this rule um, over the years. I think now that this is a step back to what instant replay was originally intended to be, which is more you know it when you see it. If, if the 20 guys in the bar all agree that this should be overturned, it should be overturned. It should not come down to a, a second judgment based on replay. It really needs to be something that's governed on the field and have something in place to, to fix an egregious mistake or to, to give them line of sight into something that perhaps they weren't in position to see. Um, going back to, to the Super Bowl, I thought there, there were two uh, touchdowns that were replayed. I felt both of them should have gone with the call on the field, and, and both of them did. I think this was, yeah. I, I think really in the Super Bowl, they, they tried to enact what they're doing now. And to be honest, the most refreshing part of the Super Bowl for me outside of you know, seeing the Patriots lose a game was uh, the, <laughs> the fact those two calls went in favor of common sense. And I, I, as I sit here, I, I'll swear to you, I would say the same thing if it was the Patriots that uh, got both of those calls. Right, They I made the correct call. Um, if, right. No, if, if I, I wanna, agree with you. If you want to pick any deeper into that, it's like you're, you're getting away from what football really is. You know, that's just not – you can't make calls that – um, that granularly, it just the game doesn't work like that, in my opinion. Um, they didn't waste a whole lot of time. They're they're on top of it in case there was something that perhaps they didn't see. But in the end, it's like nope, there's not enough here. We'll go with the call in the field. The guy was right on top of it. He made the right call. Yeah, the, uh, I do admire. I mean, in all fairness, I do admire someone's uh, thought of let's be as perfect as we can on this. I, I you know, because you're trying, but then. In application, the application of it's too difficult, and because it is, go back to common sense and to you know, you know, once you see it, you know it, and you're exactly right. Because I think what they were trying to do was they were trying to officiate the game perfectly and eliminate every potential error they could. That's what I thought they were trying to do. Yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent with that, and I also agree that it, it's a noble pursuit, but it's also a futile yeah. one. There, there's no way you're That's ever right. going to do this. And one of the best examples that was uh, pointed out to me, I thought this was a a, a great way to describe it. Uh, FIFA, you know, the, the governing body of international soccer, their playbook is about a quarter as thick. Or their their rule book is about a quarter as thick as the NFL did. I think that really speaks a lot to basically we're going to have officials on the field. We're paying them to make these calls. We're going to train them to make these calls correctly. We know that they're not going to get all of them. We know that there's going to be controversy that comes with it, but that's the game, okay? That's just as much a part of the game as kicking the ball at the goal is, you know? In football, it's the same way. You can't get everything perfect. You, you can't try to make it robotic. Really, just take out the, the major stuff. Otherwise, I mean, you look at the, the calls that are probably discussed the most, pass interference, that's almost entirely subjective. And sure. everyone's going to have a problem with it, depending on whose ox is getting gored. You know, it really depends on whether your team is getting, you know, allegedly ripped off by, by a homer referee. You're never going to eliminate people having problems with referees. In fact, that, that's, that's part of the culture of the game. You know, you almost, right. it, it'd be weird to not argue about the officiating after a game. That, that's just the way fans are. Don't try to regulate that kind of stuff. It, it's, oh. it's not a battle that you need to win. It's not a battle that you're going to win. So just you know, make the calls, make it as consistent as possible, and try to fix it if there are any mistakes. Otherwise, you let the game kind of decide itself. Don't don't try to control it. It just doesn't work. As somebody who's emceed uh, quarterback club uh, 
luncheons, point guard club luncheons for basketball. The topic of officiating at some point comes up. Well, what about that call? What about that? Because it's a private setting, so it comes up all the time. It's all part of it. What about the pass interference rule? I feel, me, after watching the 15-yard pass interference rule in college for 34 years now, that I've felt that that was a better model than the NFL. What do you think? I think it, it's it, it's kind of the fleas that come with the dog. You know, it, it's it's hard to say on a, a 50-yard pass down the field, only giving them 15 yards. I mean, that really encourages the defender if he's beat to just mug the guy. You know, I, I can see why the NFL will not allow a defense. It really is a, it comes down to them wanting to reward the offense more than than not penalize the defense. The NFL right. wants offense; it wants scoring. I see where they're coming from with it, but it, it's it, what's really interesting to me is it's really hard to find a middle ground between one or the other, and I'm not sure that right. either is correct. I just don't know what the, the uh, you know a, a third option would be, I, you know, without yeah. it getting really technical and within too many details. What the NFL tried to do, and this is always really interesting to me, um, is create more calls down the field that would you know have a, a pretty stark difference within um, you know yardage uh, of of penalty. So it, it, holding is one thing, pass interference is one thing, um, you know, it, illegal contact is one thing. It, 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 to me, though, it's just like hockey, and I, know, I don't know anything about hockey. Anytime I see a penalty, to me, in my eyes, it could have been like one of five different things. And whatever it is, it's like, okay, <laughs> that's charging, apparently. It looks like hooking to me. You know, I, I don't know what it is. And the NFL does a good job of trying to make those differences. But you see it, what, what's obviously a holding um, infraction yeah. on, a, on a play down the field, and they'll call pass interference. So to me, it's more like, well, you kind of you're starting with, you know, the the the, the automatic call in your mind is always going to be pass interference, even if the guy is held. In, in you know this hypothetical play, the holding call would have been for less yards, but they call the pass interference because it happened further down the field. It's like, well, you know, which side are you trying to go on here? I don't know exactly where they want to go with it, but it, you know, I, I think for anything, it's always good to kind of reexamine um, your position on something and see if these are the best rules. Um, for me, I think they've got bigger fish to fry, and if they only have a finite amount of time yeah. to sit and talk about it, clearly the catch rule was the one to go over. I, I think they do need to right. look at pass interference at some point, just simply because it's it's kind of a mockery of your product after a while. <clears throat> you have what I jokingly refer to as, as the Joe Flacco heave and pray. You throw it up 50 <laughs> yards down the field and try to draw a flag. It's like, that's, that's not football. Come on. Don't don't yeah. don't bail them out of a, a stupid situation. And really, you know, not to make this too dramatic of a point, but you look at the Vikings-Saints game, that play doesn't happen if the player isn't definitely afraid of, of getting pass interference called on. That's, right. That's why he basically yeah. just closed his eyes and dove and totally missed, <laughs> and the big play happens. But if, if, if he's not going to get overly penalized for trying to make a play on the ball, that play doesn't happen. And really, should a play like that have happened in the NFL? I don't think so. I, I, I was pulling for the Vikings, but it was really exciting. But it, yeah. it was just kind of a, a silly play, and the poor guy's going to be haunted by that forever. <laughs> you know he is. Uh, yeah. A bad mistake to make it a bad time, and to me, it was really more out of fear of the penalty. You know, it's interesting, though, about about uh, the pass interference in, in, in college. You talked about the temptation to, all right, I'm beat. I'm just going to drag the dude down. It's only 15, right, which I completely understand. When they first put the rule into college, I thought exactly the same thing you did. And you wonder how many times I've actually seen it happen? Probably right? not much. <laughs> For fewer than 15, maybe. Totally. Yeah, I was thinking exactly that after I said it. I'm like, I don't even know how many, how often that even happens. Maybe in that case, it's something that kind of governs itself. Either way, you don't want to give up 15 yards. You know, obviously right. it's better than 50, but it's not a great solution either. 
Um, and, you know, it maybe it, by and large, guys don't get fried as badly down the field that they, you know, in a split second decision decide that it's, you know, a, a need to, you know, to, to drag the guy down by a shoulder pass from behind. It just, you know, maybe the opportunity isn't there all that often, but um, it doesn't seem, in my, in my mind anyway, it doesn't seem like that it gets uh, called any more or less often um, in college than, than in the NFL. They throw more in college, so you can yeah. see where some of that might come from, but it's a lot shorter. So maybe, you know, maybe I'm just kind of in recency bias, not really, you know, thinking of, of uh, you know, teams that are running full out, you know, vertical routes on, on every other snap and, and chucking it right. deep. A lot of them are a lot shorter, so maybe that just doesn't come up right. all that much. Well, and, you know, but the other part, too, is the college does not have the five-yard contact rule either so there's there's a little more leeway on contact from the line of scrimmage all the way down the field too so i don't know uh it's it's at least you know, like i said get the catch part first because i i don't want to, i don't want it to be the stadium where an incredible play is made all right everybody hold on a second nobody cheer we don't know if it's a catch <laughs> yeah that, that that got old that got really really old yeah. after a while it's like even <laughs> even if you're rooting for one team or another it's like okay let's just call it and go on okay let's, let's, let's go the move on yeah Get we're gonna have going. to respond to this anyway let's let's just you know call it what it is it's probably a catch it looked good to me and really you can't call it much closer than that unless you put 10 more officials on the field and cameras and and you know replay is not going to help that either neil always appreciate it great to hear you definitely thanks for having me and enjoy milwaukee who wouldn't Neil Kulong, USA Today. Actually, it's a beautiful city. I like Milwaukee a lot. In fact, I look out my window to the right, I have a, I have a view of Lake Michigan. It's beautiful out there. And they've done a lot of great things with this city. Really modernized the downtown a lot. The new Bucks building that's going in is gorgeous. I saw it last night. It's going to be a beautiful place. Miller Park's on the west side of the city. You want to talk about when you're coming up from the airport. I mean, boy, does that stand out. Me Miller Park. So they're going to have two of the finest facilities in the country uh, with the new basketball arena in combination with Miller Park. And the downtown, they're doing a lot of great things with it. Really, if, I have not been in Milwaukee in 14 years. 14 years? Well, I think the last time I was in Milwaukee, 2004. And they've done a lot of great things with it. All right. We'll come back. Jeff Byers' final half hour as we put a bow on the NCAA Wrestling Championships and Penn State's seventh title in the last eight years as we continue from Milwaukee on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. 
The Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Steelers legend and Super Bowl champ Andy Russell. I was the only uh, player who could negotiate his contract with the Chiefs. Why is it that the other linebackers make three times what I'm making? He looked at me and he said, well, Andy, I can't be held responsible for the stupidity of the other owners. <laughs> the Steve Jones Show, 3 to 5 weekdays on News Radio 1070 WKOK and on the WKOK app. Well, that was one of the... Uh... Sometimes you get quotes and they stick with you, and Andy Russell just gave a good one. <coughs> Excuse me. St. Mary's basketball players, they were asked about playing in the NIT, and they said, well, look, we're just going to play basketball. We're not going to sit there and worry what a group of 60-year-old men think in a room. <laughs> so we're going to let them define us as a basketball team. I thought that was actually pretty good. <laughs> you know, I mean, what do these guys care? Well, just, they have to play. What, because... St. Mary's will never get picked again because the committee is mad at them? <laughs> really? They were insulting to us. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know what? If you look at the NCAA tournament and what's left, notice how many teams among those who are left played well down the stretch. Take a long look at that. Take a long look at the teams that are playing in the NCAA tournament and how many of them. I mean, Syracuse would be an exception. I don't think there's any question about that. But played well down the stretch. Duke played well down the stretch. Villanova did. Loyola of Chicago did. I mean, the teams that, that have won their way to the next level, uh, the vast majority were not limping getting into the tournament. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hubble's Wharf. In Milwaukee, where tonight the Nittany Lion basketball team will play in the quarterfinals of the NIT, taking on Marquette at 7 o'clock. We're on beginning at 6.30 here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Streaming live on WKOK.com and, of course, on the Penn State Sports Network. Get ready for a three-fest tonight. Marquette is going to fire up a lot of three-pointers tonight. But I also think between Josh Reeves, Tony Carr, and Shep Garner, Penn State will certainly have its shots at three tonight. And Penn State's the better defensive team. Marquette is better at the free throw line, 80% on the year. Terrific. Uh, and as an outstanding three-point shooting team. I mean, outstanding. So that's the matchup tonight at uh, the Al McGuire Center beginning at 7 o'clock Eastern time tonight on, at 6.30 on WKOK, streaming live on WKOK.com and the Penn State Sports Network. Jeff Byers in a few moments. We'll look back on the NCAA Wrestling Championships. 
as Penn State won its seventh title in the last eight years. Jeff, of course, was there to chronicle it for everyone on radio side. We'll talk to him in just a few moments. Uh, an area, an element that they have eliminated from consideration for the NCAA selection is what you do in the final 10 to 12 games of a season. In other words, who's hot, who's not. Well, let's look at the 16 teams that begin play in the Sweet 16 on Thursday night. Villanova won their conference tournament. Duke, all right, Duke got to the semifinals, got eliminated, but you look at the last dozen games of the season, Duke was hot. They played very well. Kentucky, not only hot, won the SEC tournament. Kansas, not only hot, won the Big 12 tournament. Gonzaga won the West Coast Conference tournament. West Virginia got to the Big 12 finals against Kansas. Texas A&M actually down the stretch played very well. Michigan won the Big 10 tournament, hot down the stretch. Purdue, Hot down the stretch, got to the Big Ten Tournament Championship game against Michigan. Isaac Haas, by the way, probably out, but they have engineers at Purdue trying to work on a brace or a sleeve for his elbow. We'll find out. Kansas State, okay, that's been kind of a mixed bag for them, but played better down the stretch. Texas Tech played well all season. Clemson was up and down down the stretch. Florida State, good. Nevada was really good all season. Loyola Chicago won their conference tournament. And got in, then there's Syracuse. The vast majority of these were teams that were hot down the stretch. One, two, three, four, five, six conference tournament champions in there, and tournament semifinal tournament finalists included one, two. Three, So that's nine of the 16 teams that either won their conference tournament or were a conference tournament finalist. Again, down the stretch to me means something. I mean, who's, who's hot getting into this thing? I think it's one of the reasons why you see some of these upsets. Now, Virginia, of course, was hot all season. And then the other night, look, it was a perfect storm in so many ways. UMBC right, finished in second in the America East. Dick went down and saw them play. Because John Gallagher, John, we call him Johnny Gal, coaches Hartford. So Dick said, hey, come on down. Why don't you, you know, he said, it's close. We're going to be in Baltimore. Come on down, right, to go in. And so Dick goes there. He said, 800 people in the gym. 800. That's it. 800 people in the gym. This is for the darlings of the tournament. 800 people. Attendance. And they run Hartford out of the building. Now, ironically, Hartford will be the favorite in the American East next year. They're the senior team. Then they go out to Vermont, and Lyles hits a three at the wire to win at Vermont. First time, it's only the second time Vermont's lost at home all season. So UMBC gets in the tournament. Senior group, hey, older players, been around the block, facing an offensively challenged team that is a great defensive team. And 
UMBC hit threes. That's the one way you beat the pack line defense. They hit threes, and they kept hitting threes, and then Virginia panicked because Virginia doesn't have enough offense to match them. Remember, DeAndre Hunter's out, was out of the tournament. They don't have enough offense to match them. Now they started taking bad shots. UMBC kept hitting threes. Virginia kept taking bad shots because they were desperate to try and get back in the game. Virginia panicked. Virginia panicked. And that's how the big upset happens. That's how the big upsets happen. Because they didn't just win the game on a shot at the end. They ran Virginia out. Buffalo did not eliminate Arizona with a shot at the end. Oh, no. (laughs) Buffalo ran Arizona out. See, that's what I found interesting about this tournament is that you've seen upsets on the bracket, but the upsets in the bracket have happened where the team pulling the upset uh, hasn't won on some sort of fluke. They have been unquestionably the better team on the floor that night when they played said favorite. Very interesting. All right. The NCAA Wrestling Championships. Again, one more time, Penn State basketball tonight here in Milwaukee, Al McGuire Center, 7 o'clock Eastern time tonight. Remember, we're an hour behind here. 7 o'clock Eastern time tonight, uh, airtime 6.30 on WKOK, streaming live on WKOK.com and the Penn State Sports Network. Winner goes to Madison Square Garden to face the winner of the second game tonight between Louisville and Mississippi State, which will take place at the KFC Yum Center this evening. NCAA Wrestling Championships in Cleveland. Another magical weekend for Penn State Wrestling. Cale Sanderson's team winning its seventh national championship in the last eight years, crowning four champions. Zane Rutherford joining Ed Ruth as a three-time national champion at Penn State. Bo Nickel gets his second. Jason Nolf gets his second. Vincenzo Joseph gets his second. And Mark Hall, well, I'll tell you, Mark, I, more, I, more I hear Mark Hall and the more that I get to know Mark Hall, the more I admire Mark Hall. You know, Gail Sanderson got up and said, hey, look, we don't win the championship without Mark Hall's points. And Mark Hall said, hey, look, I just ran into tonight. The guy wrestled better than I did tonight. That's class. Jeff Byers, the play-by-play voice of Penn State Wrestling, joins us. I think starting to get his voice back. Jeff, welcome. Great to have you with us. Indeed. Yeah, it was a special night. We were talking with a few folks afterward and uh, even some of the media with other teams uh, were ranking that as one of the all-time great moments in NCAA tournament history uh, just with everything that was on the line and obviously with Bo going to his back first and then elevating up and being able to come back through and get the pin it capped off what was just a terrific weekend of wrestling in Cleveland uh, all right, I want to uh, approach this from a couple different angles. I want to start with Vincenzo Joseph. Uh, I got back uh, from Notre Dame about mm, 5.30, so I had a chance to watch all of it uh, on on Saturday night. And uh, you never would have known Vincenzo Joseph was there, except he was the foil for Isaiah Martinez. So yeah. he waited 364 days to get one point, Jeff? 
One? Yeah. One? Uno? Yeah, I tell you, if you could see the frustration growing, I really think Martinez thought he was going to come out and get an early throw and either pin Joseph or at least get big points and take control of it. And I think when that didn't happen, uh, Martinez just seemed to get very flustered. And obviously when Vincenzo got the take down and then was able to get the tilt at the end of the first period, I think Martinez started to realize there was just no way he was going to be able to score uh, the points that he was going to need to score against Joseph to win the title. And I think that headbutt, uh, or headbutt attempt, uh, more accurately, by Imar was just frustration uh, showing through. And it really was just a, a remarkable performance by Vincenzo, who just uh, just does not get phased by anything. He, he is just... Uh, a very happy-go-lucky kid and really was just enjoying the opportunity in front of him. And I think it may have been a situation where Martinez was putting a little too much pressure on himself and uh, Joseph was just having fun going out and, and having the opportunity to wrestle again in the finals. But you know, you and I both know this is about matchups. A can be B, B can beat C, so it's assumed that obviously C would lose to A. No, uh, sometimes C beats A. Yeah. What is it about the matchup between those two where Martinez has trouble with how Joseph wrestles? Well, Vincenzo is just great with his hips. I mean, I guess most wrestlers, uh, great wrestlers are, but I, he really just has an uncanny ability. Martinez, I think, is used to being able to uh, hip toss or get in on the, his high crotch and uh, be able to pretty easily finish even against really good guys. And Vincenzo is just, uh, I think his body build uh, is similar to Imar's. So uh, at his strength, so the power that he generates through his hips, I, I think is unlike anybody other than maybe Imar at that weight. And I just think it it's something where Martinez is used to being able to get certain moves that he knows are going to be there against anybody, and they just weren't there against Vincenzo. And I also think in this particular box, because I thought at Big Ten's, uh, Steve, I, Martinez wrestled a very tactically smart bout. It wasn't throwing the watch, but it was a smart bout, and uh, he took advantage of the one opportunity he had and, and got the win in that bout. I thought in this one, Martinez early on was wanting to um, – almost proved that he could out Vincenzo Vincenzo and, and wanted to get either an inside trip or a hip toss and instead of just kind of taking what was there and, and seeing how things unfolded it, it felt like he was trying to force some things and ultimately I think that's what cost him that first takedown. Okay, now let's get to the part that you know, if you're a real fan you're watching this the entire time but this part also happened by the way obviously when I was doing the game what did it mean to the team title that Guy, you know, like Lee and Nevels and so forth, kept going and kept winning in the consolation bracket and the points they racked up. Yeah, I mean, you can look back, obviously, in a tournament like this, and when it's that close, eight points with the team race, there's a lot of different things you can point to. But I really, Steve, Nick Lee gets pinned in that first round. This is a true freshman, and you're not exactly sure. You know what Nick Lee is capable of doing, but you're just not exactly sure. Uh, how things are, are going to go, how he's going to respond, and as you were talking about, the matchups. Is he going to get favorable matchups, or is he going to get a, a kid that just is um, 
for whatever reason, just too much for him at the, at this stage of his career. And Nick real off five straight wins, then lost in the Conference semis, and came back to that fifth. Without those points, I mean, Penn State does not win the national title. If Lee goes one and two or even two and two, Penn State is on the outside looking in here at the end of the day. So, uh, I mean, Shakur Rashid and Nick Nevels, obviously, those were important points, too, that they came mm-hmm. back and got seventh. I mean, you can do that, I guess, with any of the kids. But I, I really look at Nick Lee losing that first-round matchup uh, where he was favored, being able to come back and reel off five straight wins as being just absolutely pivotal to Penn State having the opportunity to seal things up on Saturday night. Uh, something, when you have a dynasty, and this is now a dynasty, they've won seven of eight, and they've done, you know, Iowa may have won more along a period of time, but but what Penn State's doing stylistically has done more for the sport than Iowa ever did. Uh, yeah. Because of the style, uh, it's fun. It's exciting. It brings a lot of juice into the sport, and is not you know as mechanical, for example, by the numbers. Yeah. Uh, what is it about Kale Sanderson's approach? Now I know you're talking about individuals, where he gets everyone to believe that it's a fresh season, a fresh year. That look, everybody's starting over again, which means your hunger has to start over again. What is it about how he approaches that? It's not going to work with everybody, but it seems to work with most of them. Yeah, I think there are actually three different things in play here. One is Kale preaches a consistent message from the time they come in, and that message doesn't change. It's not like National Tournament Week. It's okay, now we've got to get serious. This is what we've got to do. I, I mean, it is a day-in, day-out message of, hey, have a purpose, have some fun, go out and give yourself a a chance to grow uh, in the sport and enjoy the process while you're at it. And and that is happening today uh, for the kids that are going to be up in the room. There will be uh, many of those kids up in the room uh, getting ready for the freestyle season here. Uh, right through next year's NCAA tournament. So I think it's just the consistency of challenge yourself day in, day out, and have fun with the process. Enjoy the opportunity you have here to grow within the sport. Uh, I think the other part is he recruits kids that are fearless when they come in. And, And I do think Penn State grows that fearlessness with the way they practice and the way they challenge each other and the way they approach the dual meet and the tournament season, but these are kids that have scored a lot of points in high school. The reason Penn State is attracted to these kids, and there was the initial uh, reaching out from Penn State to these kids, is because Cal saw that these are, are guys that do want to go out and score points uh, that have, obviously, a very high level of ability, but it, it's more than ability. It really is that mindset of team first, and I'm going to go out and score as many points as I can, not just try to win matches. So they they come in with, I think, the right mentality, and again, it's developed. But I also think that championship week, uh, Steve, Kale just has a a very calm approach. And, And again, it's consistent throughout the season, but I think you start to see other teams, and you can see it at the press conferences uh, leading up to it, that, that there's an excitement to it, for sure. But I think that a lot of these teams and individuals start to to feel the pressure, and you can see some kids tighten up a little bit as, as the matches begin. And it just 
it feels like, by and large, Penn State uh, just goes out. And, and even in some of the matches Penn State lost where they got pins, deep, I, I really thought they were wrestling well uh, and got caught with moves where they were trying to, to continue to do big things. And Cal can live with it. I mean, you didn't see Cal or anybody on the Penn State coaching staff chewing anybody out because they got ten. They came over and patted them on the back and uh, and told them that they appreciated the effort because that's that's what they want to see. They want to see kids trying to score points. And you know, Cal really he will take a, a loss. He'll be more satisfied with a loss than a kid that's going out there giving maximum effort and, and letting things fly. Uh, he'll feel more satisfaction from that than a kid who wins a, a three-two bout. And I, I don't know that there are a lot of co- coaches that genuinely feel that way, but Cal uh, and Cody and Casey all all genuinely have that mindset. Yeah, and I felt Penn State just watching it, their attitude of uh, a that that quiet swagger, confidence, and also calm nature. Every time I looked at it, some Ohio State, they looked like they were. They were. Look, we, we got to win this thing. Like instead of like just settle down, you'll be okay. I just felt like looking at them. They had that different look because they were trying to take something from somebody else. Yeah, I, and I also think I, I thought Tom Ryan in, in the pre-tournament press conference was putting a lot of pressure on his kids. He yeah. was talking about how important it was to win in Ohio, how important it was uh, to win uh, for a Nate Tomasella who grew up so close to Columbus. And, you know, that uh, <laughs> Ryan talked about that on his deathbed, if Nate Tomasella doesn't win the, the title this weekend, uh, he's going to feel like his life was a, a little less than full. <laughs> that's, that's an awful lot of pressure. Yeah, I mean, that's... even if you feel that way, to be openly expressing that and letting the kid know that, uh, you know, your coach's life's fulfillment <laughs> is dependent on you winning, yeah, probably a little much. Yeah. And I just, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Steve. I, Penn State just, I, you just get a sense of things just walking around the, the hallways. And uh, they, Penn State was just loose, and, and it always is. These kids just are always uh, joking around, and it doesn't mean they're not taking the sport seriously or when it's time to, to wrestle, they're not focused in. But they're a relaxed group. They, they but really they look, they act, they act as if they know exactly what they're doing and why. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll give you an example, Steve. And I, I'm, you know. Dan Mosley, the, the trainer, and I are, are coming back on the uh, the bus yesterday and just recapping the tournament a little bit and talking about different things that we saw along the way. And, and just to give you an idea of, of how loose this team is and how confident uh, it is, Bo Nickel, uh, before the match, uh, back in the locker room, and <laughs> Bo is saying... Uh, Kale, uh, you know, listen, I think I'm going to let Martin take me down three or four times, let him tire himself out, and then I'll pin him in the third period. <laughs> Joking around. Right. Kale doesn't even look up. Kale says, yeah, maybe we just get, like, a different strategy. <laughs> and that's and no more is said. It, it wasn't, hey, come on, Bo, this is time to get serious. We, It was, yeah, maybe we do a different stra- strategy. And Kale knows at this point, Bo knows what he needs to do what his mindset needs to be, and he has faith in that. And Bo has faith that Cal Sanderson has uh, gotten him as prepared as, as he can be at this stage of the game, and there's no need to change things up. And so I, I just, 
I think there is, a, just as you said, a quiet confidence, a relaxed confidence about this Penn State team. And uh, there just was not, I think, the pressure that was – uh, put upon this team as as there was with the Ohio State, and I, I just think the Buckeyes and listen, they wrestled a terrific tournament. Sure like they Ohio did. State went out and laid an egg. No, uh, these were two great teams that uh, came right down to the end. But I I do think Penn State's calm demeanor and just relaxed approach. I, I really do. I I believe at the end of the day that made the difference. Yeah, I and mean, it's like it, I always think of that moment where Joe Montana looks at Harris Barton in the huddle. And they're 85 yeah. yards away, right behind Cincinnati. He says, "Hey, check that out, Harris. That's John Candy over there." <laughs> yeah. Harris, look at him. Are you nuts? <laughs> yeah. No, it's exactly, so. exactly, and that's just the right being in the right frame of mind and yeah. understanding. And actually, one of just quick story that I think just kind of gives you an idea of where Penn State's mindset is. Mark Hall, who of course lost to the Heat Valencia in the 174 pound final. Uh, we, they have a reception for the team after every NCAA tournament when the fans come in and, and I get to MC it. So I bring Mark Hall up. We bring it in, up all of the All-Americans. And Mark Hall comes up and opens up by saying, man, this was a great night. Uh, I had so much fun out there. And, you know, I know a lot of people think I should be down, but I'm just really happy and really grateful uh, he wrestled a great match, but I went out and left it on the mat. There's nothing that uh, I've feel I, I really would have tried to do differently. I, I went out and, and you know, Zahid beat me today. And I just think there is that recognition on this Penn State team that, yeah, we want to win. We want to go out and uh, accumulate all the championships we can. But at the end of the day, if we don't, and you, we give a good effort, it, it's okay. It's a sport. Our life goes on. And Mark talked about how, yeah. you know, he has a very fulfilling life. And yes, he wants to win. And uh, we'll be back next year looking to do just that. But wrestling is not what defines these guys in in their life. And I think that perspective really does help them because there are a lot of kids out there, a lot of wrestlers, that this is their life. And uh, the, the winning or losing, I mean, it is how they're defining themselves. And if they lose uh, and, and don't achieve their goals, you, you'll see them. I mean, they are moping around, they're pounding walls, they're kicking trash cans. And the Penn State kids... Um, shake hands, go off the mat, and if they, they lose, they go back and try to figure out how they can get better. Uh, and firstly, if they win, they go back and figure out how they can try to get better. Well, your brilliance uh, was on display as always. Uh, congratulations to them on a great tournament and to you on being able to paint a picture of excitement and detail that will last with Penn State uh, fans forever. Thank you very much, Steve. It, it was certainly a fun weekend. Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.